now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. What is your favorite movie? What is your all-time favorite movie? We could go through decades, you know, and we could get back to the 80s and there's Top Gun, right? Come on. Yeah, there's a couple of us that like that Top Gun movie. And uh, I couldn't watch it. I had to sneak and watch it. My parents wouldn't let me watch any movies. Um, Y'all are kind of a little bit low today as far as like energy. Uh, Yet into the 90s, there was Princess Bride. I was allowed to watch that one. Anybody ever watch Princess Bride? Marriage, marriage is what, yeah, that one. Um, what a great movie. And then, you know, you can keep moving through. And then there was um, um, Nacho Libre. I got a lot, of, a, a lot of laughs. A movie like that, the only reason it's good is when you can interject a line from that movie in a conversation. And that was one of the best movies to ever watch. Um, moving forward, recently, um, over the last few years, I fell in love with a movie that would probably be unlikely for somebody as macho as me. Um, the Greatest Showman. Anybody else like The Greatest Showman? What a great movie, right? I mean, I think I was on like a mission trip and I watched that thing four times before I landed in the foreign country and I was walking like, a, you know, I, but what a great movie. And it's, the great thing about that movie is the energy it brings to you, right? You watch that movie and then you just kind of want, you want to get up and dance the first time. And you've seen the, the, the reels and things where people are watching it. And the first time you're just kind of like, oh yeah, I like this. And the second time you're standing up and the next time you're trying to act out the bar scene kind of movie and, and they, Probably shouldn't have said that part. <laughs> but anyway, you're just trying to act it out and you're singing it as loud as you can. You get in the car and you're listening to the soundtrack, that kind of thing. What a great movie, right? And it just brings so much. And then you walk out of the theater. If you watch it in the theater, you walk out and you go, what difference does it make? I just wasted two hours of my life. I was entertained by it and I walked out and there's nothing I can do about it except maybe tell somebody else they ought to watch it. And as I was thinking about the message today, and I was thinking about church and about how many people show up to church, and it feels like a movie. We go in, we enjoy the best coffee in Cabarrus County, right? Can I get an amen to that? I mean, whether you get it out of the pot over here, like Tom, he's drinking a cup right now, or if you go to our coffee bar, where the best barista, the, you know, you, anyway, it's great coffee. You enjoy that. You show up. Maybe you're wearing a charity t-shirt. You know, you got the paraphernalia about it, and you show up, you want to sit down as close as you possibly can, um, at least a couple of people do, and, uh, and then we, we, we love the music. The soundtrack's great, right? I mean, it is absolutely incredible. It's music you want to sing to. Even if you can't sing, you want to sing, and maybe you even sway a little bit here and there and clap your hands, and then it's, oh, you, you get to hear a, a motivational speech kidding. You get to hear a sermon. We preach around here. We don't do motivational messages. And so, but you leave and you go, so what? So what? And we leave here and we think, what difference does it make in the world out there? And what we're going to look out at today is this fact right here, that faith without works is like a movie without impact. Faith without works is like a movie without impact. You can show up, be entertained, and you can even, you know, have all the paraphernalia that goes with it, and you can tell everybody about it. But if we don't do something about it, it's just like we showed up to a good movie. And we walk out, and it makes no impact on the world around us. And so today, we're going to be looking at the most practical book maybe in the entire New Testament, maybe both old and new, and that is the book of James. Now, James, if you want to go ahead and turn there, James chapter 1, 
James was the half-brother of Jesus, as you may know. Now, growing up, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, to which I would ask you, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the Messiah? <laughs> Some people laugh out loud at that. We wouldn't believe it. You know what James's brother had to do? He had to be resurrected. And when Jesus Christ died, was buried, and when he was resurrected, James put his faith in his brother as his Lord and his Savior. And he went on to be one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church, and he wrote this little letter to us, this little epistle, to help us know how to grow and live out our faith. I mean, he comes along, and you got Paul's writing that's saying, listen, the only way you can get into heaven is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your works won't get you there. You can be baptized every year in your entire life. You're never going to get to heaven based upon that. It's only by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then James comes along and says, listen, Paul, that's great. We agree with that. We know how to get in. But the problem is we got too many people getting in and not living it out. We got too many people getting in through faith, but they're not demonstrating their faith through the way that they live. And so James comes along and he says, basically, your faith without your works, it's like going to a good movie and walking out and not making an impact. I want you to make an impact. So three things that I want you to get today. And number one is this, we must be receptive to the word of God. You've got to open up your ears and listen to the word of God for the word of God to make any kind of impact on your life and on my life whatsoever. Here's how James begins this portion. He says, know this, pay close attention, take note of this. What I'm about to tell you, I want you to lean in and listen up because it's very, very important. James is getting ready to talk about obedience. And we don't really like to hear a whole lot about that. I like the faith of getting in, but I'm not sure I want to live in obedience afterwards. I mean, really, there's a lot of things that Jesus wants us to do. And if we're going to pattern our lives after Jesus and take on the character and the priorities of him, man, that's just a lot of work. I kind of like this faith alone to get in. And James is saying, no, there's more to it than that. You've got to live it out by the way that you live. And he's going to talk about um, obedience. He's going to admonish us. He's going to talk to us about um, our human nature because our human nature is to just be good listeners and maybe some good note takers and good memorizers. We can memorize passages and all those kind of things, but we're really not very willing to live it out in the day to day. And that's what he's going to talk about. So he says, know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, listen up, slow to speak and slow to anger, quick to hear. Quick to hear the things that matter to God. Quick to hear the things that please God. Quick to hear the things that help us live in obedience to God. Be quick to listen to those things. Listen to God. Listen to others. Listen to the word of God as it's expounded for you. And, be, and as you do that, I want you to be slow to speak. When you're, when you're getting correction, isn't it? Just like us to like want to stop somebody and stop them. Well, well, let me stop you right there. Let me correct you. It's so hard to us just sit back and listen to admonishment. It's so hard for us to listen to correction. And what James is saying is listening 
is more, is, is more beneficial than talking. A lot of us could learn that lesson. We need to listen more and talk less. And he says, in your listening, when you hear things you don't like, when you hear things that admonish you to go do something, be slow to anger. I struggle with that one a little bit. I'm, I'm quick to anger. I'm quick to anger. I, I get quickly defensive when somebody confronts me. Anybody else like that? I mean, before you know it, you're typing an email, you're calling them up on the phone, or you're, you're blasting them back, or you know, you're screaming at them in traffic. I made a mistake yesterday. I don't know if anybody else made the same mistake. I drove in Salisbury. <laughs> Who would have thought Salisbury? I didn't know it was the Cheerwine Festival. And I didn't know that people were going to be driving like they were confused between cheer wine and heavy booze. I mean, it was like they were drinking, not wine, they were drinking like Jack Daniels. I mean, they were like driving erratically. I mean, I'm sitting at a red light and I hear a car behind me get rear-ended. I mean, wow, I mean, that's a terrible sound. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, that it wasn't me. And then I'm driving and this car tries to cut me off. And I was just saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. Not at all. I'm honking the horn, chewing them out. There was a guy in front of me that was madder than I was at some of the drivers. He's rolling his window down and screaming at them. Don't you know how to drive? And he's screaming at them. And I'm just going, amen. Amen. You tell them, buddy. You let them have it. I mean, slow to speak, slow to anger. That does not describe me at times. So this is a verse that I need to make it my life verse right here. He says this, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And righteousness is the goal, right? We should all be wanting to live a righteous life before God and in front of this world. And he was saying, the anger of God does not produce the righteousness, or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so in other words, we need to be very uncomfortable with anger in our lives. We don't need to get defensive. We don't need to get mad. We need to be slow to these things. But our normal reactions is defensiveness and anger. That's our tendency. We get defensive and we get angry at people. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. Don't tell me how to drive. Don't tell me. And we get so defensive rather than just going, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what you have. I'm going to listen to your admonishment. And then we, we hear stuff and we don't like it. We hold a grudge for years. You're not speaking to somebody because they you know, try to tell you what to do. And it may have been bad advice, sure, but, but anger does not look good on us as Christians. It just doesn't look good. And this is what James is addressing. He's saying, you like to give your thoughts and opinions. You like to be quick to speak, but you need to be willing to be admonished. You need to be willing to listen to other people because anger does not produce the results God is looking for in us. Anger does not look good on a Christian. When you show up today to a restaurant and they get your order wrong three times, anger does not look good on you. When your spouse doesn't do what you want them to do, anger does not look good on you. When somebody cuts you off in traffic or me off in traffic, anger, Tracy will tell you, anger does not look good on me. As a Christian, anger doesn't look good on us and we need to stop it. We need to just tone it back, tone it down, Try to get it out of our life because it does not produce in us what God wants to produce in us. And he says, therefore, put away all filthiness. 
Therefore, so that you can produce the righteousness God desires in you, put away all filthiness. Put away anything that doesn't line up with the values God has for you as a follower of Jesus. Put away all filthiness. Put away all rampant wickedness. And I want you to receive instruction with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So that you can produce the righteousness of God in you, you've got to be humble, you've got to be meek, and we've got to be ready to receive correction when correction is needed. And when we do that, we demonstrate this faith that is able to save our souls. I mean, we love that part of getting into the kingdom, right? I mean, I don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. So we receive salvation by grace through faith. We do that. He says, now I just want you to demonstrate this faith that you put your faith in to save your soul. Now let that same faith be produced in you so that you can live your life as a way that others look at you and go, hey, I kind of like those Christians out there. I may not agree with what they'd say, but I kind of like the way they live. They seem to have better marriages. They seem to do a lot to raise their kids, to, to respect authority, and to, to, uh, to do well in school, and, and they just raise them to be respectful. There's something about those Christians. I don't like what they believe, but man, I like what they produce. And they ought to look at this that way. And so this faith that is able to save your souls, he's saying, live it out. Live it out so that people want what you have. I'm going to skip a slide because I got these out of order. And this, here it is. We are more prepared to hear what, we need to, what needs to be heard when we rid ourselves of the things that distract us from the word. Because we live this life and we get so busy. It may not be wickedness, it may not be filth, but it's just busy with the world. And it distracts us from the things that we need to learn from the word. So the second thing that, that he talks about is this. We must be responsive to the word. We can hear it, right? But we need to respond. We can hear it all day long. You can come in here and you can take all the notes you want. Be like Tom, take all the pictures of all the slides. Helps him with the podcast later in the week. And so we do all that, but we've got to be responsive. It's got to do something in us. It's got to produce something. And so here's what James says. He says, I want you to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I want you to do something about it. Don't be just a bunch of movie theater sitters. I want you to go out and do something with it. How do you respond to the word? What God is desiring is doers. Doers are desired, not hearers. Hearing good, we need to hear, but hearing alone absolutely does nothing. It doesn't produce anything. As a matter of fact, we learned that knowledge produces pride. The more knowledge people have, the more prideful they get. And so he's saying, you've got to live it out. We need to do more than just listening. But hearing alone, that's our default. I mean, you know, your kids, you tell them what to do and they just listen to you and nod. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you done? Yeah. And then you leave and they go in there and play the video game. You go, I told you to mow the grass. Oh, I heard you. But you didn't do anything. I know, but I listened. You've told me before I'm not a good listener. I learned to listen. I want more than that, right? And, and that's what God sometimes, I think he's looking at us go, did you hear what I said? Yeah, we heard you. I showed up every Sunday for the whole year. I took good notes. But you didn't do anything. Oh, I know, but I was a good listener. 
No, he's saying, listen, stop being a deceiver of yourself. Stop deceiving yourself thinking that, that hearing is enough. We think we can hear and we can go out and maybe we can have a convincing argument. And I can just argue with people all day long and watch my Facebook post. Man, I got the best arguments for people on there and we're not producing anything except we're just full of words. And he's like, I need more than that. I need more. And what James is saying is our capacity for self-deception is unlimited. It's unlimited. He's saying, listen, there are so many people who are deceived into thinking they're okay because they're good listeners. He's saying, you're not okay. You got to be a doer in the kingdom. I need you to go do something and stop deceiving yourselves. He says, for if you are a good hearer, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, we do that, right? We look intently. I mean, you, you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror before you go to work. Hopefully. I've seen people that obviously didn't do that. All you got to do is go to Walmart. Really? I mean, you just walk around Walmart and you just go, did they look in the mirror before they walked out today? Obviously not. They got nobody in their life that loves them. No, no, really, you show up and I'm gonna follow behind you with a video camera because I wanna see people laugh. No, he's saying, we look at that and we think, how crazy is it that people would walk out of the house dressed like that? And what God is looking at is going, how dare you look into the mirror of the word of God and yet walk out and still act the same way you've always acted. It's ridiculous, is what he's saying. He's, it's just something that is not becoming a Christian. He says, for him, for he who looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he is like. And there are things in our life that is hard for us to see in the mirror. Selfishness is one of them. Pride is one of those things that is so hard for us to see in the mirror. We see it in everybody else. I can see selfishness. I can see pride. I can see people who are self-serving, confused, but it's awfully hard for me to see it myself. And he's saying, we need to do this. We need to, we need to look into the perfect law, the word of God, the law of liberty, and persevere. And the one who does that, being no hearer, but forgets what it, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his what? In the doing. You're not blessed in the hearing. You're blessed in the doing. I don't care. You can listen to the greatest preacher of all time, and you can have all their sermons memorized. You're not blessed in the hearing. You're not blessed in the knowing. You're blessed in the doing. This word looks the same word if you go back to the, to the, the, to the empty tomb when the disciples came, and they looked into the tomb. They, they looked intently. They were going, there's supposed to be a body here. There is no body. And they, they, they look intently at that. That's the same word James is using here, that when you look into the perfect law, you need to intently look. You need to spend some time there. You need to stoop over, so to speak, and look in tendency, because our tendency is to do a quick glance, read the verse of the day, go through our little devotion, listen to your podcast, whatever it is, and go about our business, and it makes no difference in our lives. And he's saying, there has got to be something more to this. We've got to look with the intention of learning for the sake of doing. 
The intention of learning for the sake of doing. Learning in and of itself is nothing more than sitting in a classroom. We've got to go out and do something. So we are blessed in the doing, not just the hearing. And the final thing that I want to mention to you today is we must be obedient to the word. We've got to be obedient. We've got to listen to it. We've got to receive it. We have to be obedient to it. There is an action part of all of this. He says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I think I've got it together. I think I'm a religious person, but yet if I blast everybody with my tongue, he's saying, you need to go back to the drawing board. You need to go back to the word of God because your religion is worthless. If you don't have your tongue under control, your religion isn't doing any good. And then he goes on and he says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He said, I've told you what it's not. Now let me tell you what it is. To which every single one of us should go, let me hear it. If I want to know what God's definition of true religion is, I want to hear this. I want to take notes. I want to let it sink deep into my heart, and I want to do something about it. It's not all those other things. So God, tell me what it is. And here's what James writes out for us. He says, it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's that simple. If you want religion that is pure and undefiled, religion that pleases God, it's religion that produces something in you that causes an action. And it's you go and visit widows and you go and visit orphans. And by the way, keep your life undefiled from the world. Keep yourself separate in a sense. Don't let the world's um, culture and values creep into your life. And I want you to go out and I want you to take care of the widows and the orphans around you. So the evidence of good listening is good doing. The evidence of good listening is good doing. Keep your talk to a minimum and your actions to a maximum. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as you probably know, the Christians, the, church, the early church was, was tasked to grow under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a wicked empire. Some of the worst things, I mean, crucifixions, by all means, that should tell you something about how wicked the Roman Empire was. But there was something else that was going on during this period of time. And it was infanticide. Infanticide in ancient Rome was flourishing. And what this was, is this was like if you had a child and you didn't want that child for any reason whatsoever, whether that child was physically handicapped and you didn't want to raise that child, maybe that child was not the gender you wanted, maybe you were just too poor and you knew you couldn't afford this child. So there was a thing that was accepted, it was infanticide, but what they would call it was exposure. And so they would take these unwanted babies and they would take them outside of the city wall and they would take them to the dung hill and they would lay these babies on the dung hill or they would put them out in the edge of the woods for those babies to just be exposed to the elements. And eventually we know what happens to babies who are uncared for and unwanted and exposed to the elements. They don't survive. As a matter of fact, they would lay these babies on the dung hill, and later on, there was a term 
that these babies who were rescued from the dung pile, they would call them, not in English, but in, in, in that language, it would be, you, they would be called little, for us, it would be a little four-letter word that you'd put there. Taken off the dung pile, I'll let you fill in the blank. That's what they were called. That was their, that was their nickname, you little, and that's what they were called. They came across a letter of a Roman soldier who was riding back home to his wife, and he says, I am still in Alexandria, and I beg and I plead with you to take care of our little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. In the meantime, if you give birth, if it's a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, expose it. From a Roman soldier riding home to his wife. Well, the Christians were appalled by that, which we should be, right? You hear that and you go, how could a culture allow unwanted babies to be killed? And we get appalled by that, and the early church did too. And so Christians would go out to the dunghill and they would get the babies and they would bring them into their homes and they would raise them as their own. Churches eventually started opening up and they would allow them to bring unwanted babies and they would put them in a certain part of the church and they would get them out to the congregation for them to raise these children as their own. And so later on, as the Christians continued to do what Christians should have been doing all along, by 318, Emperor Constantine declared exposure to be a crime. And by 374 AD, it became a capital offense to expose a child to the elements if they were unwanted. So through Christians doing what Christians do, life gained value and the culture changed. Through Christians doing what Christians do, life gained value. Christians who are hearers of the word, allowing the word to do something in their heart, and they said, we just can't sit here and let this go by unnoticed. And they went out and they did something about it and the culture changed. So changing the culture started with Christians doing what Christians do. To which I would say to us, what are we going to do? I mean, back then they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have um, all the different social media aspects. They couldn't write their senator. They couldn't email them. No, they had to go out and do something. They couldn't just be a vocal loudmouth. Because we like to do that. They had to go do something about it. And that's what they did. So as Christians, we've got to go do something about the world in which we live. Just stop being quick to speak and be quicker to go do something. Let the world see our faith on display and let them desire the God we serve. So what we have to do is we have to expose our hearts to the word and then allow the word to expose our hearts to the needs and then live our lives in expression of the word. So you see how this works? We open up the word of God or we listen to the word of God. We expose ourselves to the word of God. And when the word of God, which, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, gets into our hearts, it exposes us to the needs around us. We start to see this world the way God sees this world, as broken, in need of a savior. And we start to say, how can I put my faith on display? And we express the word as living and active 
doing things in the world around us. Here at Charity, we've got lots of ways of expressing that. Our food pantry, you know how well we do there, exposing and expressing the love of God to our community. But there's another ministry that we have really started ramping it up, and it's our new foster care ministry. And this foster care ministry is us saying, we recognize the value of human life and we can vote all we want to for abortions to stop, but if we don't do something about the unwanted babies, who's going to? We've got to step into that gap. And we've got to say, listen, as a church, we're gonna step into the foster care ministry in our community. I found out recently that there are so many children right now in Cabarrus County that need a home, a foster care home. So there's several different ways that you can get involved. We've got about 25 people already signed up for this ministry. I think we had two at least after the first service that signed up as well. We've got um, five families that we as a church in our area of the community, we've already adopted five foster care families. And what we're doing is we're just basically saying, hey, we wanna help meet your needs. So if you need um, groceries, we'll give you some groceries. If you need a night out, we're gonna give you some money to go have a night out. If you wanna take another step into that, you can get approved by the state to be a foster care family. And you can bring children into your home or you can just say, hey, listen, I know you're a foster care family and I just wanna provide some respite care to you. So what we'll do is we'll take the kids out to the park while you go and buy groceries or while you go have a, a day at the salon or while you go and do whatever you need to do or we'll keep the kids overnight. If you need to take a family trip out of town, we can provide some respite care. There, we, got, we got some guys right now that are getting ready to build a wheelchair ramp for one of our foster care families in our community who took in a special needs child, a handicapped child, who needed a, a wheelchair ramp. So we've got some guys going out to build the wheelchair ramp so that this foster care family who opened up their home and brought these kids in can at least get her in and out, or him in and out of the house with ease. So if you wanna get involved, you just simply go to charity.church forward slash events, and right at the top of that list is the foster care ministry. And there's lots of different ways that you can check that you wanna get involved. It can just be minimal, if that's how you wanna start out. Maybe you just wanna help fund it. Maybe you wanna jump all in. We'll be doing some training classes for people to get, um, to, to get approved to, to, to be foster care parents. But there's so many different ways that we as a church can be busy about doing rather than just about preaching. We're awfully good preachers at times as Christians. We're not very good doers. And we're just gonna try to open up another opportunity for us to just be better doers. So, making a difference comes from doing, not knowing. It comes from doing, not just knowing. Knowing is the avenue to get to the doing. We gotta know what to do, right? But we can't stop with the knowing. We've gotta go about with the doing. So maybe today, the Lord's laying this upon your heart. Maybe there's something else that God's been impressing upon you. You go, you know, I've learned a lot about it. Now I need to go do something about it. And today would be the catalyst that would launch you into that. Maybe you've been watching Christians live and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today's the start for you. You would just say, hey, listen, I want what they've got. I want the Savior they have. And I want him to come into my life and change me. We'd love to meet you down here at the altar. We'll meet you back in the guest VIP room. Whichever way you're most comfortable, we just want to make sure we help you take that step into faith in Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. Our Heavenly Father, 
thank you so much for the writings of your brother. God, we are so thankful that he was convinced by the resurrection to become a follower of you, and he wrote this great practical book. I know he had seen a lot of religious leaders of his day that knew a lot, but didn't do a whole lot. And so God, as he issues this warning and this admonition to us, I pray that we would receive it, and that God, we'd go out and do something about it. And I pray that we as charity and some other churches in our county would eliminate the need for foster care by, provide, by providing homes enough to house all these children who don't have a place to go right now. So help us to get up out of this place and not look at it as a movie theater, but God is just as a place for us to be prepared to go and do ministry in our culture. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.